as Marilyn and I were talking about um, what we might uh, share uh, in, in this in this time, we wanted to talk about um, subtle contemporary heresies and how they um, sort of walk through the door um, in in our small groups because we live in uh, a contemporary culture. I mean, that's just and it just whether we realize it or not, it, it influences us. And um, and so what I'd like to do is I'd like to... Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about how we... sort of the culture that we live in, and, and then um, I want to hear about maybe some individual questions that, that tend to come up. Um, and we'll talk about sort of the nature of, of heresy, and, um, and then we'll look at 2 Timothy. And, um, and it's not a neat sort of package... Of of uh, it's not a, it's not a neat package of we're going to go through verse one verse two verse three, um, but it's but I think it has a lot to say about how to conduct ourselves uh, when we're not sure we have some disagreement and we're not sure uh, about how to handle that uh, and then we'll maybe just if we have some time we'll talk about some sort of apologetic issues and just you know addressing particular questions that that tend to come up. Uh, we live in a culture, it's not a, a shock, I'm not teaching anything new, we live in a culture that prizes uh, individualism, uh, where we are far more concerned with our rights uh, than our responsibilities. Uh, and we, um, and it's really part of our culture, and it's not necessarily a bad thing that we have the right. Uh, in fact, it's often it's a really wonderful thing. We have the right to, to, um, to think and to say and to believe what seems best to us. Uh, we are, and we are uh, able to say and think and, and believe those things free from the judgment of others. Um, and, and especially, uh, you know, to some folks that might, might sound great, that we have such freedom to think, and some folks that, that might sound sort of depressing, but uh, we actually need that, that right uh, as the church. We need the right to be able to, to say what we think and to believe uh, what we what we believe is, is true, uh, rather than to have those things monitored. It's, it's great when you believe what uh, is okay with the governing body, but if you don't, if you don't believe that, um, then, it's, then, then that's a bad thing. We need the freedom. So, and in fact, if someone disagrees with me, uh, which happens often in um, circles that I run in outside the Advent, um, then, that is, uh, then I would fight for their right to disagree with me, even though I... I think I'm pretty sure I'm right, you know, um, uh, which is well, we'll talk about that a little bit as well. I wanted to read this um, quote, Michael Horton. You may know Michael Horton uh, from um, the White Horse Inn, and he actually was just the speaker, keynote speaker at the Mockingbird Conference in April. Um, he writes this. He says um, this is from his systematic theology called the Christian Faith. Um, while my, while modernity built its empires on the basis of a meta narrative of progress, and what he means by meta narrative, meta narrative is not an overarching narrative. A meta narrative um, is a story that tries to convince you it's not a story; it's actually just the way things are. So it's really it's, um, and we'll we'll sort of see how that plays out. But but it's it's a it's a story masquerading as just the facts. Okay, so that's a, that's what a meta narrative is. Well, that's how he's using it. While, while modernity built its empires on the basis of a meta-narrative of progress and self-sufficiency and confidence in a destiny of perfectible humanity, you can see how those are just the way things are, perfectible 
humanity. The tendency in our postmodern times is to lose any conscious sense that our own lives are part of a larger plot. We become aimless drifters who come from nowhere special and have no divinely given destiny, but are free to write our own individual scripts from the meaningless combinations of endless choice. In our day, the script is sold to us with persuasive advertising that promises health, wealth, and happiness here and now. Our daily experience is flooded with images of the successful person and the life story that we could have if we purchased the appropriate props. Even God, Jesus, and spirituality have their place as long as they are merely tools or resources for our self-making and self-transformation. However, there is nothing especially postmodern about this outlook. What we witness in our contemporary Western cultures is not so much a renunciation of meta-narratives, but the dominance of a new one. Namely, the meta-narrative of coming from nowhere and going nowhere, but making things up as we go in between birth and death. This nihilism, literally nothingnessism, aspires to the status of absolute ideology. That is, this nihilism, this, this idea that there's, there's no real meaning, we have to make up meaning as we go, it's just a series of choices between birth and death, um, and, and it's sort of the self-made person, uh, that's actually um, a story itself. That's not, a, um, that's not just the way things are, but that's, the, that's how these stories pre- present themselves. That's what makes them so... Um, persuasive is that they present themselves not as stories to believe in, but as just the way things are. And uh, we cannot expect that the people in our small groups are not exposed to this. Um, it's it's um, you know when they come in with questions or with some sort of wild hair, they're orthodox and everything, but they've got this wild hair about this one thing. Um, they are acting like people who live in the world, which is understandable because they live in the world, and, and you uh, cannot expect that you don't uh, sort of imbibe these same meta-narratives. This just, it's just the way things are. And I find um, consistently ways in which, that's part of Christian growth, you find ways in which your life is shaped by uh, the culture, your, even your understanding of Scripture is shaped by uh, what you believe or what you have been taught by the culture rather than uh, what Scripture says or actually what Scripture wants to say. That we read Scripture through the lens of our own understanding. And so when, uh, when Paul says we're justified by faith, I already have a whole idea of what I know justification means and faith means, and I'm reading back into what Paul says about those about what justification by faith means. And so I uh, am hearing Paul through the through the megaphone of this sort of nihilistic contemporary culture, even though I'm trying to do away with it. It still shapes my understanding. And so part of our growth is understanding that we come from this. Uh, from the culture we come from, and um, sort of that's the dying to self. That's a continually uh, unloading and, and uncovering and allowing the Holy Spirit to reveal to us. That's why study is so important. That's why commentaries are important, um, to get a, a large a breadth of understanding. Um, 
whether it's a study Bible or it's a Bible study or it's a uh, just whatever it is, the more that you can, the deeper you can go into the concepts uh, of Scripture and the um, the things that are taught by Scripture, the better off uh, we're going to be. And so we we um you know we don't come to small group to hear what everyone has to say about the Bible. We come to small group to hear what the Bible has to say about everyone. And so. Um, so we're not coming to seek relative truth, but we're coming to seek the truth that God has revealed in the Scriptures. What does the Scripture have to say about us? And so when that happens, though, there is inevitably going to be a variance of opinion. You, know, you think you're interpreting it one way, and someone else is interpreting it another way. What do you do with subtle heresies? And and heresies are uh, heresies are like dandelions, you know. Some uh, they uh, they look pretty, uh, but they're a weed, you know. And, and actually, I would say that the church is is where it is today, largely because we have been unwilling to call dandelions weeds, but have called them flowers, and uh, we gather up giant bouquets of them and um, and carry them around. Um, Heresy comes from the Greek word uh, cho- uh, to choose, or choice. And, and the, so the heretic is, is one who has chosen uh, to depart from or to disagree with uh, or to stand outside the bounds of the word and the doctrine of God. And what we need to realize for ourselves, before we begin to understand it for, uh, for the people in our groups, before we begin to understand it for people in our church, or people at work, in our neighborhoods, um, in our denomination. Uh, What we need to understand is that we naturally have chosen, by our our nature, by our born, fallen nature, we have chosen ourselves to stand outside the bounds of God's will. As Andrew preached today, he has called us back into that. But even we ourselves who seek truth and believe in truth and want the truth of God and in a very real sense have the truth of God, uh, that we are not free from error. And so, um, see, the problem, uh, the problem with, with being a heretic is a heretic never thinks they're a heretic. And, and, um, and, and what I mean by heretic, I, that sounds like a sort of a, 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 you know, a, a fingernails on the chalkboard, just a grading kind of word. I simply mean, uh, in, in, a, in a sense, that we're all heretics. We, we all naturally stand outside the bounds of the, the Word and the doctrine of God. And yet, God has revealed Himself to us in the Scriptures. And so we are constantly trying to come out. So who's, who's right? I mean, Frank Limehouse one, one time said that every heretic, every heretic who ever lived had a Bible in their hand. Uh, and that's true. So who's right? Who gets to decide is right when you both think you're right, but uh, but you obviously disagree. Uh, this uh, it, that pro- that creates winners and losers, and uh, and many many times it's actually created war. Uh, who gets to speak for God? Um, and then, but some in a sort of an overreaction against that, and this is I think typical of our uh, larger denomination to avoid uh, a, a situation with winners and losers. Um, we, we just validate everything. We just validate every opinion, except perhaps for the opinion that says that there uh, you can't validate opinions. So we just uh, we just validate everything, um, but then truth is is compromised. And so uh, so what do we do?
So I want to stop right there. That's, that's sort of the question. What do you do with subtle heresies? Uh, first in yourself, uh, but, but as leaders of small groups, when they walk through the door and you ha- you're sort of face-to-face with something that just really doesn't seem right in your small group, I'm wondering if there are some particular issues. At the very least, let's not, call, let's not label people as heretics. I don't mean to, I don't mean to say that you've got a bunch of heretics. Um, but let's, let's say that, um, that, that maybe is a, li- a, a little strong. But what I, what I mean is um, what I want to get at is what when two people think that they have the truth about a particular issue, what what do you do with that disagreement? How do you settle it? Do you need to settle it? And, and so what I ask from you is what are some uh, think take a minute and think about what are some topics, theological topics or um, lines of conversation that have come up uh, in your small group, maybe uh, more than once. Um, that that uh, that provide pre- present challenges. Does anybody have any off the top of your head? Yeah. Um, early on, the uh, the topic that really almost derailed everything was um, homosexuality. Okay. And I had to get Heidi home. <laughs> and what Heidi did was did just what you said. What does the Bible say? Right. Okay. And it's still been every now and then it raises its head. Yeah. Every now and then. But um. Okay. So I, instead of homosexuality, I just wrote human sexuality because it really isn't a, a bigger. Um, okay. Yeah, Matt. I, I would I would say in the first in the first instance, it's not. In our case, like a situation where everybody seems to be choosing something. Sure. It seems very organic. Yeah. And, and what we're noticing is that most everybody else, I hate to, I hate to do that us versus them kind of thing, but what most of, uh, of everybody else in our group tends to buy into is some sort of mixture of Joel Osteen, Josh McDowell, Jersey Holmes, um, that kind of approach. And I, I hate to say that, but that name comes out all the time, so I'm not going to just let it go. Um, that approach that God gives you tips for running a better business, He wants you to be a better dad, um, you know, <coughs> happier, more productive, but any kind of sin redemption talk tends to fly out the window. And nobody, it's, it's not that anybody rejects it, it's just they don't get the point. Like, I've already been there, done that. So, so you know, like self help? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Which is not untrue. Yeah. Okay, good. Where's some other? Yeah, Helen. Uh, our group is currently studying Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God. Mm-hmm. And, this, and we are, we've decided in this to take turns leading each chapter. And the person who led last week had the subject, um, straight, is Christianity a straitjacket? Yep. And he took the, the side that it was, and that there is no freedom in in, uh, in Christianity. And thankfully, all the rest of us discussed to the contrary. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but that was the first time I had seen anything like that. Okay. All right, let's see. Let's put Christian freedom. 
Is this a Christian man? I mean, he's a committed, he's a follower of Christ. Yeah. Okay. So freedom, maybe freedom versus duty, which you might also call that grace versus law. Which he also said that Christianity excluded. Uh, that I would, yeah. See, again, that's something where you you have to really you have to have the longer conversation because I would say Christianity does exclude people. Although it's, it's but it's very, it's totally inclusive, totally exclusive. So, okay. So, yeah, good. Freedom versus duty. Okay. Something that always comes up in our small group is um, predestination. Sure. Okay. Okay. Any, any others that, yeah, Leslie? Um, not specific, but I was thinking now all of these things, and there's like thousands of them all the time, all sort of just fit under what I think the, the big picture question slash problem is, is biblical authority. I mean, like, are we just, mm-hmm. you, you know what I'm saying? Because like most of these things aren't so much an issue if we actually put ourselves under biblical authority. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Although you know, like you look at predestination, free will. It, well, that will. But I mean, that's it's the answer is yes. I mean, so um, uh, yeah. But but I I agree with that. Um, it's really an issue who who's making who and whose image. You know, I believe what I believe because I've always believed it, and I'm going to put some sort of Christian language on that because I've been taught how to do that in the culture that I uh, grew up in, and so. Um, so what I naturally assume, therefore, is that what I believe is right because I, I put God's name on it. But um, but I, I really actually have never thought to, to look at and see what Scripture has to say about that. I don't know how. Where would I look? So okay, that's that's really good, and that'll be plenty uh, if we if we get if we get there. Oh, in 12 minutes. Um. All right. So let's look at um, uh, Second Timothy. Chapter 2. Paul writes, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now you know that Timothy was um, was Paul's sort of protege. He was not his child physically, but he was his child spiritually. Uh, and he had sent him out now um, to... Uh, where was is it? Um, Ephesus. To to be uh, to be the pastor, sort of like the bishop there over the house churches. There, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since he, his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. He is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. 
If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will also deny us. But if we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. Remind them of these things and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hamanaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now, in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for honorable use, some for dishonorable Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for holy, for honorable use. Set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant, now this, is, this is one of the more important lines for what we're talking about. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. May God perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and and they may escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So Paul is telling Timothy, interestingly, over and over, as he is in Ephesus, as he is encountering uh, subtle heresies that are the product of the world that uh, the Ephesians live in, he continually tells Timothy how to address these. And what he says is, uh, he he refers a little bit to going back to Paul's word and and certainly to the scriptures, uh, but he continually says, Timothy, strengthen yourself. Strengthen yourself. Very little. It's only towards the end does he talk about how to, uh, Timothy is to relate to others. Strengthen yourself. Strengthen yourself. So number, verse 1, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, last week I taught a class uh, on repentance as a lifestyle, as a posture. Uh, rep- and repentance requires uh, honesty. And honesty uh, is what we must have if we're going to be strengthened by the grace of of Christ, because it calls us to uh, to it calls us to um, be honest about who we are uh, before a holy God. To be strengthened by the graces in Christ Jesus means that we need to be uh, available and open to acknowledging that we need grace. But this certainly is is also true uh, in our um, uh, in our doctrine, not just our uh, moral lifestyle. In the reason for God, Tim Keller, uh, in his introduction, writes this. He says that people who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. Believers should acknowledge and wrestle with doubts, not only their own, but their friends and their neighbors. So part of repentance, I would say, is the honest acknowledgement of our own doubts 
and the wrestling with God. Remember, you know, Jacob on the Jabbok. He comes out with a limp and a new name. Um, but God's uh, will is uh, given in his life. We're wrestling with God over the answers to our own doubts. We're seeking the Scriptures. And Scripture ought to be offensive to us. And not, in a sense, not in a repulsive way, but in a, in a way that it, it offends what we naturally think because of who we naturally are. And, uh, and so that's that refinement we're, we're asking for. We're allowing Him to melt away uh, our impurities. And refinement, if you think about uh, refinement of a, of a metal, it only comes in fire. And so we need to wrestle with the Lord. We need to bring before Him our doubts. Uh, it is, uh, you may have heard, or uh, some people uh, may have said that it's not good, never doubt God. I would say always doubt God. Uh, at the very, not because He's doubtful, but because, uh, because we, uh, we do doubt God. And so it's be- much better, rather than deny that we are doubting different doctrines, different um, things that we come to Him, we... It just in our life we have fears. I, I certainly have times where I think, I mean, is this stuff for real? You know, and so is this? Am I just, am I just making this up? Have I given my career, my life to something that's completely meaningless? Because there's times where it just seems, just up in the air, and you and you just have to give that stuff uh, to the to the one who is big enough to take it. God can take it. He is not. An impetulant child. He he is far more mature and gracious than we ever will be. And so that refinement, uh, that repentance, which is that honest acknowledgement of our uh, of our doubts, it fosters all of repentance ought to. It fosters humility. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount calls it uh, meekness. That is humility, and that brings identification of our own sin to our the forefront of our minds prior to. Uh, the attack, prior to we begin to attack someone else's sin, we see a problem that walks in the door and, um, we, and, and we attack it, then we will, it's probably because we're not, we haven't recognized our own doubts and our own not. So we need to do that. It, you know, Jesus talked about the, the speck, recognizing the speck in your own eye before you see, I mean, the, 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 recognize the log in your own eye before you see the speck in someone else's. And so we're, uh, we're seeing our own sins. We're acknowledging our own doubts uh, before the Lord, which brings humility, but it also brings joy because God has given us His, His grace to so be strengthened by the grace, that joy, that awe of the love of God, and this sort of this humble joy. That's the position we want to minister from. That's the position we want to show up on Tuesday night uh, with uh, lemonade and M&Ms and, and be uh, humbled and joyful by the grace that God has given us. That's the position we can minister in. I spend a lot of time, and I, I've sort of actually came face to face with this like Friday and Saturday because we were at, we had the Rooted Conference, and one of the the things that they were talking about just over and over again: our sinfulness, our sinfulness, the grace of God, and 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 yet what I realized I talk a lot about sin and atonement as a sort of a, as a theory. And I don't often let the joy of that shine through. Um, and, and I, I tend to, I'm sort of serious. And and uh, and I just um, I'm sort of you know had to re- felt like I had to repent of that and just really say uh, you know yes let me understand my sin but also let me let me re- not not just I'm not only a sinner I'm I'm a redeemed saved man of God and let me just joy and exult. In God's exaltation, so so it's that humble joy that is is the position of ministry, especially 
relational and doctrinal ministry. Um, because doctrine is nothing if it doesn't penetrate and inform uh, our lives and our attitudes and our positions. Um, so you can't you can't teach joy. You can teach about it, but 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 to let that joy to really be strengthened in the grace of Christ is to let that uh, shine through. Um, so we have to be growing independently of our small groups in our own faith. We have to be, if we, if you, especially if you are the leader, or if you know if you're like your group and you're you sort of share the leadership around. But we ha- we have to be growing in our um, faith and in our life in Christ apart from leadership, apart from just showing up. The, when you read the Bible, I read it on Tuesday nights with my small group. You need to be uh, constantly um, programmatically in the Word of God. Uh, you know, in worship. Uh, in some sort of routine, where you can, um, does that mean you have to do it every every morning at between four and five o'clock and whatnot? Not at all. You find what works for you. I don't think it has to be daily, um, if that doesn't work for your schedule. But it has to be, I think, a routine that actually is building you up, so that as you're strengthened in the grace of, grace of Christ, that joy uh, just pervades your life and, and shines through. Otherwise, you're just teaching doctrine, and that's boring. And there's sometimes where I have uh, I teach classes and I just teach, you know, it's just teach, it's just boring because I just teach doctrine and um, and the times I think that I've really that connects it connects on an emotional level because it's it's joyful you know I'm letting that um, or at the very least the doctrine has informed emotionally um, so that truth comes through not just in knowledge but it makes that sort of 18 inch drop to to your heart. Okay, I think we're um, pretty much running out of time. Uh, and I'm sorry about that, but I, I, what we'll try to do is we'll try to get, we meet two in two weeks. Next week's the women's retreat, and I hope that half of you or so are going on that. Um, and Marilyn will be there. And uh, Marilyn and I, I think, um, are teaching the week after that for more small group leader training. Um, but we will go, I, I think, we'll continue to talk about these subtle, uh, subtle heresies. Uh, if not, maybe I'll just write something about it but, um, and get that to you. But anyway, uh, let me just close with uh, close with prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you that your word speaks to each of these uh, things and so many other um, uh, so many other aspects and doubts that we have. But it speaks uh, to human sexuality and it speaks to um, whether our lives and our faith is therapeutic versus theological. It, it speaks to law and grace and it speaks to uh, predestination and free will and and Lord, it speaks to money, and it speaks to family, and it speaks to work, and it speaks to where we've come from and where we're going, and it just covers our whole life because our whole life is wrapped up in your story. And so, Lord, let us never cast ourselves as the main character in your story, but to understand our place and our in the plot. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us up. Humble us by your grace. Give us joy that inform that doctrine should inform us emotionally. And that is a gift of your spirit. So we pray, Lord, that we go out uh, to do the work you have given us to do with gladness and singleness of heart. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.